Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody feeling today? Pretty good? If you are joining us somewhere other than central Indiana, if you're joining us somewhere south or in another country, um, it is freezing here in central Indiana, huh? Woke up this morning, it's four degrees outside. Wanted to go back into the house. My car was making weird sounds and the garage door wasn't working. Anybody else have any problems this morning? freezing outside. Anyway, we're here and we're not jealous for anyone who lives in Florida uh, or Texas or Arizona. We love you guys if you're tuning in down south. Um, yeah, so brand new series today here at Emmanuel. So exciting, making it work. If you're joining us at our Banta campus, Franklin campus, Garfield Park, New Day Treatment Center or the Terra Treatment Center, we welcome you here at Greenwood. We welcome you out in the lobby. We see you out there at Greenwood. Can we give it up for all of our friends here today joining us at all of our locations? We hope to get you guys here at Greenwood back in the auditorium soon after COVID is over. Uh, so brand new series today, Making It Work. Why are we talking about relationships? Why are we talking about marriage and romance? Because it's February. Come on, Valentine's Day is coming up and romance is in the air as well as ice and snow, right? And we got to talk about this, uh, you know, and, and so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is kind of talk about relationships and how to make them work and romance and marriage and all that fun stuff. And, but before we go any further, let me just say, if you are a middle school student, high school student, if you're single, if you're divorced and you're single, if you're a college student, you're single, do not, do not, please do not tune me out over the next couple of weeks because everything you're going to hear in this series is about relationships that are, and they're, it's totally going to be applicable to a relationship that you have with a family member, a friendship, co-workers, if you're on a team, it can help you on a team, if, you're, if you have a classroom full of students, it can help you with your students, if you have relationships with your teachers, I mean, everything we're going to be talking in this, in the, about in this series is going to be transferable to all of your relationships. On top of that, if you are single, there, the statistics say that there is a high probability, listen to me, a high probability that one day you may be married even if you don't want to be right now. So do not ignore me, what I have to say, because what you hear in this series can be gold. It can really be a blessing to you in the future. Making it work. Why do we pick that, that title for that series? Making it work? Because it's hard to make a relationship work. <laughs> I mean, it really, really is. One of my favorite authors, John Eldridge, he wrote a book called Wild at Heart, which is definitely worth your time reading, especially as a, a dude, if you're a guy. Uh, they also wrote a book, uh, John wrote another book on marriage with his wife, Stacy, and it's called Love and War. The subtitle is Finding the Marriage You Dreamed Of. I love the title because it is love and war sometimes. But in the, in the first chapter of their book, I love what they say, talking about the difficulty of marriage. Of course marriage is hard, he says, 
For heaven's sake, bring together a man and a woman, two creatures who think, act, and feel so differently, you'd think they come from a separate solar system, and ask them to get along for the rest of their lives under the same roof? He says this, that's like taking Cinderella and Huck Finn, tossing them into a submarine, closing the hats. What do you think will happen? I mean, this is like, marriage is so difficult because people, men and women, are so incredibly difficult. Different. I meant to say difficult. I meant to say different. They're different, and they're difficult. <laughs> My wife and I, it's amazing how different we are. We, we just, we come at life from different perspectives, different upbringings, and, and different, we grew up in different places. Uh, the other night, our friends took us out to uh, throw axes. Anybody ever been axe throwing? Never been before. I've seen these different places kind of pop up. It's like, who wants to throw an axe? I mean, I guess that could be cool. And then, you know, mix in a little beer and, uh, you know, alcohol and axe throwing, and you have, I guess, a fantastic experience. Who would have thought? Beer, axe. Anyway, um, so we went out, we threw some axes, and uh, when we get there, you know, again, men and women are so different, and, and we're, you know, the guy does a little tutorial, and he's like, okay, stand behind this line, that's rule number one, don't ever go in front of this line if you're not throwing the axe, that's fine. I'm not much of a rule follower, but that's okay, whatever. And then he says, rule number two is you don't, don't throw it hard. Don't throw the axe hard. Now, you know, my wife is a rule follower. She just is. That's her posture towards life. Whatever the rules are, you try to follow them. And, and that's okay. That's fine. I'm cool with that. You give her space to do that. I'm not a rule follower. Many of you know that. Um, and so she, she takes that advice. Here's actually a picture of my wife throwing the tomahawk. This is the tomahawk. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that fantastic? She just got this perfect form. You just look good in that picture, honey. It's just... <laughs> She's just throwing this axe. And so she, she hears the instructions from the guy, like, you know, you don't have to throw it hard. And she hears, what she hears in her mind is throw it softly. Now, throwing an axe and the word soft, those, those two things don't mix. And so she's kind of like, she's just trying to follow the instructions and loft the axe over there. Because he said, don't throw it hard. You know, and it's hitting the wall and it's falling down. It's hitting the wall, it's falling down. It's hitting the wall, it's falling down. And, you know, I wanted to tell her, you know, just, you got you to gotta give it a little... Zip! You got to give it a little zoom. You got to get, a, you got to throw it hard, you know. And, and when I'm getting, when I get up there, and I'm taking this axe, and I'm like, I'm gonna throw this thing 100 miles an hour, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's hitting the wall, and it's breaking the wood, and it's ch- it's going inside, and, and even when it doesn't hit the wood, it's bouncing back, and it's just, you know, I'm throwing this thing as because you don't tell a dude not to throw an axe hard. Like, that doesn't even register. Am I right, guys? Like, no one's going to be like, oh, loft it over there. You know, but you can't coach your wife. Like, there's like, I tried that like a decade ago. That just like, we, we used to run together. Like, come on, you know, pump your arms. Stop coaching me. You know, it just, it doesn't work out. So, but we just, we just approach life so differently. And, and we kind of, it's different. You no, know, we have different upbringings. You have different upbringings, different value systems. We all have different hopes, different dreams, different expectations. We come into this marriage. We come into a marriage with, with woundedness, you know, betrayals from the past, uh, different levels of selfishness, narcissism we got to work through, anxiety issues. And then you're supposed to work through all of this stuff with this person decade after decade after decade. Look, it's a miracle that anyone's marriage works out. Do you agree? Like, unless God intervenes, it's really tough to make a marriage successful. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about what that looks like. And, and then next week, my wife is going to join me up here, and she's just going to be fantastic. You guys looking forward to that, having Jackie up here? 
I, I, she reluctantly comes up. You got to kind of twist her arm a little bit, and then she says yes. Um, but today I want to share with you what I think the secret sauce is to our marriage, and then she can get up here next week and disagree with me. That's fine. But I think this is really the secret sauce. It's one idea. It comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This really is what makes our marriage work. We don't have a perfect marriage. We've been married 22 years, is that right, this August? 22 years, we got married right here. And, but we, we, we don't have a perfect marriage, like I said, but man, it's a good one, it's a good one. We like each other, okay? So we like to hang out with each other and we have a friendship, and so I think it's working for us. Let me share with, uh, this, this big idea. We call this the secret sauce, at least I do. The Bible says, or Paul writes this, these words, outdo one another in this thing called showing honor. And again, this can be applicable to all relationships. This is not a romantic verse. This is not a marriage verse. This is a relationship idea. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, what does it mean to honor someone? Think about it with me. When do we honor people? We honor people on their birthday. We throw them a party. We give them a cake. We honor people when they, when they retire. We honor someone when they graduate from high school or college, right? To honor someone means to basically gather some folks around and give them the attention and celebrate them for some sort of achievement or goal that they reached or something they did at work. They won an award. What does it look like to honor someone on a daily basis? It basically, basically means the same thing, like in a smaller, smaller microcosm or micro kind of way to say, you know what, I want to celebrate you, I want to honor, I want to focus on you, I want you to be the center of attention. Paul says, I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. This little word right here is a tough word to translate. And in fact, this is the English standard version of the scriptures. Other versions use different words. This word outdo simply means to go first, to take the lead, to lead by example, to take the initiative, to take action. Do not wait to show for someone else to show honor. You take the first step, you take the initiative, and you show honor first. Outdo them, go before them and lead by example. Now, why does Paul tell us to do this in relationships, specifically marriage we're talking about today? There's one reason. It's because people reciprocate behavior. People reciprocate behavior. In the, in the world of psychology, this is called the mirroring effect or mirroring. When people see a behavior, they're around a behavior in a family, in a classroom, on a sports team or whatever, whatever everybody else is doing, that's what that person does. This is why parenting is so important because whatever the parents are doing in the house with money or entertainment or the way they communicate, the kids are gonna mirror those things, right? Well, it happens in a marriage too. This idea of Miriam, people reciprocate behavior over time. In other words, Paul is saying, if you will continuously take the lead in showing honor to your spouse, then in time, your spouse will reciprocate or return that behavior. You will reap what you sow, which is why he tells you to go first, to lead by example, to outdo one another in showing honor. How would you do that? inside the context of a marriage. That's what I want to talk to you about today. How do we, how do Jackie and I do that such that our marriage is working, not perfectly, but it is working for us? I want to talk about that today. Four ways that we try. This is not a sermon. This is just some things that we do for each other on a regular basis. The first way that we try to honor each other is by encouraging as much as possible. Encouraging as much as possible. Everybody needs encouragement. Your spouse needs encouragement. You need encouragement. 
I love what Truett Cathy said, the founder of Chick-fil-A. Listen to these powerful words. How do you know if someone needs encouragement? If they're breathing. There you go. If you're looking at your spouse and they're breathing and they're alive, they need encouragement. Why do they need encouragement? Because here's what every single one of us carry. We carry this thing called fears and difficulties. We all carry a bag of fears. We fear about the future, fear of failure, fear of not you know, reaching our potential, fear of getting sick, fear of dying. Your spouse and you have a bundle of fears that you carry around in your life. You also have a bundle of difficulties. Life is hard. Maybe they're sick parents. Maybe you have continuous back pain. Maybe your spouse has chronic headaches. Maybe they struggle with anxiety. Maybe they have panic attacks. There's some sort of level of difficulties that your spouse carries. You put those difficulties in a bag with those fears, and all of a sudden, you got a heavy burden. And you can call those, in general, you can call those just a bag of worries. And it makes life very difficult to go through. And that's why your spouse needs Encouragement. What does the word encouragement mean? It's actually two words, in courage. It actually means to take courage and put it inside of somebody so that they can face their fears and so that they can overcome their difficulties. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Worry, this collection of fears and difficulties that pile up, they weigh a person down. Your spouse, you. As you go through life, these worries, they weigh you down. But watch this, an encouraging word. Say it with me. Cheers a person up. Come on, a little bit more, all of our campuses. Cheers a person up. I can hear you, Banta. Come on, Franklin. Come on, Garfield Park. Come on, Greenwood. Ready? One more time. Cheers a person up. Oh, it's so powerful. One encouraging word. You can make it. You can do it. You were designed for this. You got what it takes. It lists, you know what this phrase means right here in the Hebrew? It means to make a person happy, to bring delight, to bring joy to their heart. What if you as a husband, what if you as a wife viewed yourself as the main encourager in the marriage, in the marriage, in the relationship? Like that's your job is to take courage and put it into your spouse's heart. And that's how you honored them. Do you think over time your spouse would reciprocate that sort of behavior? It absolutely will happen. So what I gave an example the other day, and, and this is just you know some of the some of the things that my, my wife does. So many things. Uh, she's a, she's a mom of three teenagers. She works in real estate. She does all these different things. The, last week she spoke at Mom's Time Out, which is a group here at the church, and she had a very difficult topic to speak about. Some of you moms were there. She spoke about unity, and she's working hard on this talk in the midst of all the other things that she's got going on. And and she begins to get concerned. And I don't think I'm sharing too much, honey, but she begins to get concerned that it's not going to connect and it's not long enough and in fact the night before she gave the talk and she's not a speaker like me you know she doesn't just whip up talks every week it's difficult to do that uh, she's up at 12 o'clock and at night or in the morning she's still awake and she's going oh it's only 12 minutes and I don't know if it's going to connect and I'm not sure and she just needed me to come alongside and say look you've done the work you know your stuff it's gonna go great just let's go to sleep <laughs> it's gonna go awesome and you know what? It was a small thing, but, but we just try to do that for each other because we, we need, I need it, she needs it, and if I go first, she's gonna follow. If she goes first, I'm gonna follow up by putting encouragement in your spouse's heart. This is the secret sauce. If you wanna know how to make it work, 
encourage as much as possible. Then number two, how else do you honor your spouse or outdo one another in showing honor? You show appreciation daily. Show appreciation daily. Now, when you, I know that when we hear that word appreciation, it kind of sounds the sim, similar uh, to, uh, to encouragement. And, and, and it's true. Appreciation can be very encouraging, but they are different. See, to encourage someone is literally to put strength in their heart so that they can face their fears and difficulties. But appreciation is different. Appreciation is expressing gratitude for something that was done. It's saying these words, thank you. Thank you for folding the laundry. Have you ever tried to fold more than one basket of laundry? Anybody out there? I mean, I think I'm a pretty, you know, fit dude, and I like to lift weights and all that stuff. And, but, man, you get, you get into that second, you know, basket of laundry, and your neck is burning, your arms and your shoulders, like, hang. how do you do this? Like, my wife will sit down for an hour, an entire hour, and fold, like, three baskets of laundry. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, my back and my neck and the posture, like, I don't, I don't have it in me. But she'll, do, she'll bang out three baskets. Like, it's like, I mean, thank you for folding the laundry. That's what, that's what, that's what uh, appreciation is. Thank you for planning this vacation. I told her one time, I said, if you didn't plan this vacation, we wouldn't go. Because I don't know how to you know, plan a vacation. Like, we would just stay home if it weren't for you. You just said, thank you. Thank you for preparing this meal. Thank you for cleaning up the house. Thank you for bringing an income into the house so our family can pay the mortgage. Like expressing gratitude. There's a really old dead guy. I mean, super old dead guy named William James. Here's a picture of him. He's known as the father of modern psychology. William James. You can Google him later. He's the first college professor to ever teach the first class on psychology in a, in a college setting. This is what he said about the human condition. The deepest craving of human nature. Listen to this. I think he's spot on. The deepest uh, uh, craving of human nature is the need to be appreciated. It's to hear those words, thank you. (sighs) I have noticed this in marriages that dissolve. That when there is a lack of appreciation, the marriage fizzles. The wife, the husband, it goes both ways. They run out of gas. Because appreciation is fuel. Appreciation is energy for the marriage. That someone recognized the value that I brought to the situation. It lifts the spirit. It fills the tank. And when one spouse or two spouses stop appreciating one another, it's just a matter of time before, watch this, watch what happens, watch what happens. People start to feel taken advantage of. Then resentment builds. And that resentment turns into bitterness. And that bitterness turns into contempt. You know what contempt is? It's the worst thing. It's basically saying, I don't want to see your face. My life would be better without you. And the next step is divorce. So how did they get divorced after 20 years? They've been together for 15 years. I thought they were great. Here, here. They just stopped encouraging one another. They just stopped showing appreciation. It's the deepest human craving of the soul to have the person, the number one person in your life, recognize the value that you bring. When's the last time you just said thank you? I appreciate you for what you do. The value that you bring to this home. 
Let me talk to the fellows really quick because the fellows kind of struggle with this. I know some ladies struggle with this too, but generally speaking, ladies are better at expressing their emotions. Gentlemen, we, we struggle with this. William Arthur Ward said this, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. It doesn't make sense. Fellas, listen up. Pay attention. You actually have to say it. There's an idea. Like, open your mouth and talk. Let's practice. Ready? We can say it together. One, two, three. Thank you. Come on, fellas. Come on. Come on. Seriously. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. See, you can say it. Just say thank you. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for food shopping. If you didn't go food shopping, wouldn't we have food? Thank you. I appreciate that. It's amazing. Guys, we struggle. We struggle to express what we're feeling. But if you don't express it, it it's meaning. Even if you think it, it's meaningless. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to live lives as Christ followers filled with gratitude. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is what Paul said. Be thankful in all situations. Everything that happens, express gratitude. Watch this. For this is God's will. For you who belong to Christ Jesus. You, did you know that there are very few times in the Bible where it says this is God's will? People, people come to me all the time as a pastor and say, oh, I want to know what God's will is. I'm not sure. It's right here. It's right here. Say thank you to everybody. Say thank you to your spouse. Live a life of gratitude. That is God's will for your life. How do we make it work? We show honor. How do we show honor? We encourage, we show appreciation daily. I tell my wife, I, I try to tell her every day, and, and I'm not, I don't get it in every day, but I try to tell her, you're awesome, you're great, I think you're great. That's what I just say to her. I just think you're great. <laughs> and, you know, and, it's all, and sometimes it's I love you, and, but I try to give her appreciation and encouragement. Outdo one another in showing honor. Then number three, number three, look at the needs and respond quickly or respond quickly to the needs that you see around you. Last week I mentioned that Jesus grabbed a towel. He was at dinner right before he went to the cross and he filled a water basin and, and he got on his knees when they were at dinner and he, and he took a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. The master of the universe washing the feet of his created beings. Picture this. This is the job of the house servant. When the people would walk in, back in the culture in those days, people would walk in, they'd sit down at dinner, and the house servant would wash the feet. Jesus takes on the, the role of a house servant, and he washes his disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, 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 you can't wash my... It was so awkward. It was so weird. Jesus says, no, unless you, unless you do this, let me do this. You have no part in me. And so he, he does it. And then he tells us this in John 13. He tells us, I have given you, what? Say it with me. An example. I've done this to give you an example. Do to others as I have done to you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, the greatest among you is not the one with the big house. It's not the one with the most power. It's not the president of the United States. It's not the one with the most pretty body, face, hair, blah, blah, blah. It's not the one who, who, who has enough money to, you know, fly around the world wherever they want to go. No, the greatest among you must be your, say it with me, your servant. I've given you an example. So, and this isn't even about marriage. This is just about life, but in the context of marriage. What if you viewed yourself as, as the, the need meter? <laughs> like, where's the need? I'm going to respond to the need, whatever it is. What if you did that? How honoring is it when, when someone tries to meet your needs? I feel so honored 
when someone says, hey, do you need help? Do you need, let, me, let me meet that need. Oh, thank you. It's so honoring for someone to do that. What if you decided to go first in meeting the needs of your spouse in the context of your home? I love what uh, King Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 3. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to act. Here, here's what's true about you and me. It's always within our power to act. It's always within my power to unload the dishwasher. I just don't do it all the time. <laughs> That's so selfish. Think of, it's in my, like, I can do it. Like, I have the power to do it. Walk over to the dishwasher, open it up, and unload it. Like, it's not rocket science. I just, sometimes I just want to be selfish. I don't want to do it. But the scripture says, no, just look at the need. And look, if you don't do it, then she has to do it. Like, right? And, that, and then she's got to do this and this and this and this. And so what we've discovered is, is just like, be a servant, look around, look at the needs, and then just try to do it. And she does a better job than I do at this. But we try to outdo one another. And I'm trying to get in that mindset of, okay, what can I do to meet your needs so it's not so heavy of a burden for you? We've got three teenagers. There's a lot going on. We've got a busy life. There's always something to do. Respond quickly to needs and try to meet them. Here's the question that we try to ask ourselves, not every day, not every day, but we try to ask ourselves this. She asked me this question probably more than I do. Here's a simple question. What can I do for you today? Immediately, as soon as this question gets asked, it, it, asked, it puts you in that posture of a foot washer. Like, what is it that you need? How can I help you today? Can you imagine a husband and a wife asking this question in the morning before the day starts? Hey, just, just wondering, what can I do for you today? You know, anything? Now, when my wife says something like, hey, can you stop and get some milk? I'm like, mm. <laughs> Honey, you know if I go into Kroger to get milk, I will not come out for an hour. I'm a pastor of a large church. It, there's no way. Please don't ask me to get milk. So she doesn't do that anymore. Thank you. But is there anything else I can do for you today? <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's not a perfect system, but what it does is it puts us in a posture of, I want to help you, I want to help you. You get two people doing that for each other. Man, it's going to work. This is the secret sauce. Encouragement, appreciation, servanthood. How can I help you? Let me give you this last one, maybe the most important one. Make room for their faults. Your spouse has got a bundle of faults. You're like, no kidding. Gosh, I got a list in my pocket. <laughs> What do I mean by make room? Here's what Paul said in Colossians chapter three. Make allowance for each other's faults. There it is. I love this phrase, make allowance. You know what it means? Suffer. That's what the word means. Be long-suffering. Endure the faults of your spouse. And again, this isn't just about marriage. You might have a brother, a sister, a roommate that you live with, <laughs> teammates. Teammates are the worst, right? I remember back in high school, my teammates, oh, they stunk. They just stunk. I mean, they smelled. It's like, wash your jersey, dude. Wash your shorts. Don't wear the same. How could you wear the same shorts all week? It's a basketball team. Take them home and wash them. Anyway, just a thought, just a thought. It, there's a lot, you, I mean, people have a lot of faults. They do weird stuff. They don't clean up. They don't, you know, they leave the toothpaste cap off the cap. Then they let the toothpaste dry on the tip, and then it falls into the sink, and it stays there for a week. They do stuff. They do stuff. They leave their socks out. They leave their, you know, there's just, they're, they're, they're messy. They're forgetful, Right? They just, they just do stuff. Like, and, and if you don't make allowance, if you don't create space 
for your spouse to have some faults, you're gonna live a very frustrated life. You're gonna be very, very unhappy because his or her faults are gonna annoy the heck out of you and it's just a matter of time before you're like, I can't do this anymore. Now, I'm not talking about major faults like addiction or sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. I'm not talking about, you know, tolerating your spouse's, you know, you know, drug system that he's running out of the basement. Okay, I'm not talking about, okay, because that was dumb. Not, not, but like there's, like I'm not talking about tolerating illegal activity, okay? So please hear me. You know, all the pastor said, you should just make allowance for my, you know, my drug lab in the basement. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the stuff, the little stuff that you have, that I have, that you gotta, you know, I mean, like the farting. Did anybody fart? I mean, just, it's like, sometimes my wife will look at me like, now, like right now you have to do that? I couldn't hold it in. She's so gracious, she's so gracious. Make allowance for each other's faults. When you don't do this, it's really, really difficult. And if you're struggling, you know, to, to, to with this concept, I just, Paul tells us what to do if we're struggling with making allowance for our spouse's faults. He says, look, and forgive anyone who offends you. And then he says this, remember, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember the Lord makes allowance for your faults. So because the Lord does that, I want you to make allowance for each other's faults. See, this helps me so much to give my wife space to, do, to, to be a little off or weird or do stuff that I wouldn't do um, because it's like, well, here's God watching me go through my life, messing it up all the time. He does. He watches me sin. He watches me fail. He watches me lose my temper. He watches me just, you know, whether I'm in a drive through line, you know what I'm talking about? Or, you know, he's watching, he's watching and he's like, Gosh, this guy's got a lot of problems. And I, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make space for his faults. And I know that. That God is giving me grace every single day. Are you aware of that? Every day. There's not a day that goes by where God doesn't give you grace and make space for your faults. Then he just says, real quick, now, in the same way that I've given you grace, just give it to Jackie. Just give it to your husband. Just give it to your wife. And that is how you make it you make it work. And so, here, so here's, here's how I do it in my, in my, in my mind with, with our relationship. I try to say, I'm gonna let her list be as long as it can be. That's, that's, that's the space right here, make allowance. You can have a long list. I'm gonna be long-suffering. And I'm, on my end, I'm gonna make my list as short as possible. Because, here's the reason why. I don't want my wife to look at me when I walk through the door at the end of the day. You know, everybody comes home after work or whatever, and it's like, I don't want her to look at me and go, oh, now I gotta deal with him. <laughs> I don't want that because of my list. I want my list to be so short that when I walk through the door, the look on her face and the way that she feels is, oh, finally he's home. He's probably going to encourage me. He's probably going to appreciate what I've done in the house. He's probably going to, you know, help with the needs. Oh, hug, kiss. How was your day? That's what I want. But the only way that I can create that is to have a very, very, very short list. You with me? Yes or no? 
Come on, talk to me. Like, if my list is long, I don't get that. He's like, oh, I hope he stays late at work today. I hope his workout goes really long so I don't have to talk to him or speak to him. We don't, we, we don't function that way, right? Can you imagine if both spouses function that way? I'm going to let his list be really long and my list is going to be tiny, tiny, tiny short. I'm going to fix the stuff so, the, so that I'm not a burden to my spouse. What is it like to be on the other end of you? That's the question I try to ask myself. What is it like to be on the other end of you? Is it easy or is it hard? Make allowance for your spouse's faults. What have I said today? I've only said really some very, very simple ideas. If you want to make your future marriage work, your current marriage work, you want to make a relationship work of any kind, show honor. Go first. Outdo one another. How? Encourage. Show appreciation. Meet the needs around you and create space for the person's faults. Treat them as God has treated you. This is not deep, but man, it works. It works so well. So here's my question to you today. It's a real simple one. Will you go first? That was, that's what Paul said. Go first. Lead by example. Outdo her. Don't wait for her to respect first. Don't wait for him to act first. You go first. You offer the encouragement. You offer the appreciation. You meet those needs. You create space. I'm telling you, people reciprocate behavior over time. You say, man, Dan, I've been doing that for six months. It doesn't work in six months. It's going to take some years. We want results right away. It's not going to happen. This thing called marriage is like for decades. It's long. And it takes time to build up this sort of goodwill inside your marriage. But this is how it works. Outdo one another in showing honor. My question today is, will you go first? Now, today's baptism weekend, and we believe in the relentless pursuit, and we are pursuing people to see God turn their life around. We're going to see some folks get baptized here in a second. I love the imagery of baptism because it is literally a picture of God turning someone's life around, dying to the old way of life, being cleansed from their sins, coming up to a brand new life with Christ. I want you to hear Ben's story real quick because before we baptize some folks, because Ben's story is truly a story of God turning people's life around. He's getting baptized this weekend at Franklin. Listen to his story. Uh, my name is Ben Shively, and I'm 38 years old. Uh, I was baptized at an early age. Um, I decided um, in about elementary school when I was probably about eight um, or nine years old, I decided to get baptized. I just had a, a really um, seeking personality for God uh, at a young age and um, just curious and I felt like I had a place for, for Jesus. Uh, I don't really think that I really completely knew um, what it meant to have a complete relationship with God and surrender. So going through high school, um, I started to get tried to get more connected to the Lord, um, just going through youth group, um, hanging out with a small um, group of friends. Um, we were really close, and we would go to different um, youth conferences and stuff like that, um, and had some good times, um, some good um, altar calls, and felt the Holy Spirit even then. Then we started kind of slipping. We got involved um, in the wrong crowd, um, some different friends. We started experimenting with drugs and alcohol, and peer pressure, you know, 
know, just started taking over throughout high school. I felt my faith started to slip, started to get some shame and some guilt because I knew I wasn't living right. Then as, in, as I went into college, um, it got a little worse. I started experimenting with um, harder drugs. Partying began and just kind of losing my relationship with God altogether, not going to church. So all throughout college, I still had a steady girlfriend back home. Um, so I just kind of decided to drop out and come back home and get back with her. And I felt like it would be a good step, um, kind of reinventing my life. So then when I got back from school, um, we decided to get married. We bought a small coffee shop in Franklin and started right up into that. And it was really, really great for a couple of years. Some of the old patterns of uh, my addicted behavior and things like that started coming back into play as an, es an escape. Um, we were drinking a lot and fighting. So that's when we started um, trying to go to Emmanuel. Uh, we went through some marriage counseling and stuff like that to try to mend things back in our relationship and to just try to get that spark. And I remember um, during some worship time in the Greenwood campus, just we were going through so much pain and hard time that we were, would both just sit um, in the service and just cry. So even though um, the sermons and the worship time was just great and very moving for both of us, um, I just wasn't all in um, in our relationship and with um, wanting to stop using. I started using more heavily. I just, I started getting into a um, pretty big secret addiction of pills and heroin. And it was just a very hidden addiction and I couldn't talk about it to anyone. Um, and just the feelings of the guilt and the shame that I dealt with with that and not being able to talk about it and hiding it from her um, just ate me up inside and it was hard to, to live with that. I, I think that my secret became so big and so uncontrollable that God had um, this way of just pulling out um, all of my secrets and started pulling out all this um, dirt in my life and exposing it and she found out and um, it's kind of an ultimatum that I needed to do something about it and I knew deep down that I did um, and then I ended up going to rehab uh, took some time off away from the shop when I got out of rehab I moved in with my parents um, and then slowly our marriage dissolved the business dissolved, we lost that. I kind of hit a, a bottom. I just spiraled into a deep, dark pit of depression and resentment. I remember one morning waking up about a year ago, I just felt like the Holy Spirit moving inside of me and God was just um, talking to me and telling me that um, I wasn't a nobody and I wasn't non-existent and I was a child of his again. And all throughout my addiction and my marriage and my life, I felt God tugging on my heart and his light was shining on me that morning. And um, I just remember, was remembering some scripture, some good scripture. I was reading the Bible, a couple of worship songs came to my mind. And there was just this point where I got down on my knees and just put my hands out and surrender. Um, and I started to actually feel it lift. Um, and there was this, this peace that came over me and I just can't um, explain how awesome the feeling was. 
and um, through his grace and um, surrendering to him in that moment and um, a clinic I had started going to, I was able to uh, get clean completely. Danny's sermons were so challenging and my relationship just started growing um, in church at that time. I talked to uh, George, the worship leader at Franklin. I wanted to use um, my talents and abilities to serve somewhere. Um, so I started becoming a part of the um, worship team and the impact team and um, started getting involved in a small group, um, in a small men's group. Something that I would say to someone going through a similar situation is, when I am weak, he is strong. God reveals his light through the darkness. Um, he met me right where I was at in everything that I was, all of my sins. He loves me just as I am and not as I should be. So that's why I wanna be baptized. I wanna say that I'm all in, I'm back, and I'm alive, I'm breathing through God's uh, gift and um, I'm just ready to personally and publicly say that I'm ready to surrender and follow him again with all of my heart and all of my soul and leave nothing behind and to just run with complete abandonment.
God is doing something right now. And maybe the thing that he's doing is in your heart. Maybe he's speaking to you right now and he's saying, he wants to turn your life around. And here's what he wants to say to you. He loves you. I don't know that there's a, a more powerful, profound statement that I could ever say to you other than God loves you. He wants what's best for you. He created you to be in a relationship with himself. Today, I, I asked you a question, will you go first? We looked at a verse in Romans 12, verse 10, that says, outdo one another, go first, lead by example. That's what God did. First John chapter four, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross that whoever believes in him, puts their faith in him, will have everlasting life, abundant life now, and eternal life after death. Have you responded to that love? Have you put your faith in Christ? Christ died for your sins. He died in your place. He took the penalty, and he did it because he loved you. If you'd like to reach out and put your faith in Christ today and, and embrace that grace and embrace that love, I want you to take the words of this prayer and just make them your own and talk to God. It's a prayer that he loves to answer. At the nine o'clock service, there's a gentleman sitting down front right here. His name was Jimmy. He just took these words. He prayed that prayer. And after the service, he came down and he, and he said, I trusted in Christ. I put my faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe God is doing that in your life right now. Whatever campus you're watching, wherever you are watching online, is this your moment? Take these words and make them your own. Reach out in faith. Say this to him, dear Jesus, thank you for making the first move. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life on the cross to pay for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place, for taking the penalty upon yourself, suffering in my place. I ask you to cleanse my heart today. Wash me, forgive me of all my sin, all my wrongdoing. I turn from it and I turn towards you. With what little faith I have, I trust you. I embrace your grace. And from this day forward, teach me how to extend that same love to others, to go first in showing love and honor to those around me, to treat others as you have treated me. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Can we give God glory, church? Come on, come on, nice and loud. I want to hear you, Vanta. I want to hear you, Franklin. I want to hear you, GP. Come on over at the Terra New House. Oh, new day. Here at Greenwood, God is doing something. He's working. If you just prayed that prayer wherever you are, online, at one of our campuses, 
we would love to put one of our saved boxes in your hand. It's, it's a starter kit. It gets you in the game. There's a Bible in here. There's some instructions on how to get baptized, small group, all that stuff. There's also a mug, a coffee mug, and we're kind of crazy about coffee around here, uh, just to say congratulations. If you would text the word SAVED to 65248, we will make sure to get one of these in your hands this week. One more time, church, amen. Can we give God glory. Woo!